From the earliest days of Christianity, Christian artists have depicted the church in the form of a boat or some kind of ship. I have in my hands right now a tile that I bought in Jerusalem, which is a depiction of an early graffiti, actually on a stone. Somebody probably carved it in the decade or so after Jesus was crucified on the cross. You can tell in the picture on the screen that the person who drew a picture of a boat and they wrote in Latin underneath, Domine Evimus, which simply means, Lord, we've come. This was an early pilgrim who had learned about Jesus dying on the cross and had come from a far off land, probably in a boat, and to show his or her devotion to Jesus, carved this in a rock. Isn't that cool? Throughout the ages, Christians have depicted the church in the form of a boat. There's another one from the 17th century that I love. It's a, it's a great big ship, mighty, and it's got four big sails, and they're all filled with wind. And on each of the four sails is a picture of one of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's a picture of God's church being empowered by the Holy Spirit, spreading the gospel throughout the world. So being a Christian is like sailing on a boat. Isn't that wonderful? But what happens when the storms come? Where is God when the ship wrecks? Those questions are answered in the story we just heard from Acts chapter 27. Being a Christ follower is like being on a boat, but what happens when the storms come and where is God when the ship wrecks? Maybe some of you are experiencing some storms of life. Maybe some of you have actually experienced a shipwreck when life starts falling apart and you've wondered, where is God in all of this? Well, tonight's story answers that question. I first want to set the scene. The apostle Paul is on a boat. We've been following him and Luke and Peter and the other apostles through the whole book of Acts this whole summer. And in tonight's story, we see the Apostle Paul on a boat. And I have a map here I want to show you just to show you exactly where they were on this boat. Now, I get excited about these maps because it reminds us that these things actually happened. This isn't just some fantastical story. This is a depiction here of Paul's journey. The last time I showed you a map like this, it was one of Paul's missionary journeys where he left from Jerusalem and he went and planted churches in various places in the Mediterranean world. He went on three big missionary journeys. This map tonight is not one of those missionary journeys. In fact, Paul is a prisoner on a Roman ship and he's being shipped off to Rome to stand trial. Down here in the bottom corner of the screen you see is Jerusalem. Paul's been picked up in Jerusalem and he's being sailed, he's being shipped off to Rome. See that in the top left? And this red arrow is the journey of this Roman ship. The ship is huge. You saw in the reading it had 276 people on it. This is a big boat. And it's full of Roman soldiers, centurions, prisoners. There's probably some slaves on this ship and some merchants. It tells us in the earlier chapter that it's carrying wheat and they have to drop the wheat off when they know that the storms are coming. So this is the boat that Paul is on in, in, the, in tonight's story, in this journey that he's on. Let's read verse 27 together to see how things are going as they're sailing from Jerusalem to Rome. Verse 27 of our reading says this, When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected 
that they were nearing land. Put that map up just for one second here, Colin. You see this island over here called Malta? I don't know if you can all read that from the back. They're intending to sail to Rome, but they end up shipwrecked off of Malta. And this section here between Crete and Malta is this 14-day period that we're reading about in tonight's texts. And the 14th night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. You know the difference between sailing and being driven across the sea? One sounds kind of fun. The other one sounds pretty terrifying. This is one way you know that you're experiencing one of those storms of life when you're not in control anymore. You're being driven by the storm. This is the situation that Paul finds himself in. Terrifying, right? And over the next few verses of the scripture, it talks about how they start to fear that they're nearing land. So they put soundings out and they realize they're being driven across the sea and they're getting closer and closer to land. Things are not looking good for Paul and all the other people on this ship. Let's read in verse 33 how the story progresses. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Can you picture the people on this boat? 14 long days and nights being driven by storm after storm. Paul looks at him and he says, Y'all look like you're in suspense. That's kind of an understatement, isn't it? They haven't eaten or drank or probably slept. I picture everybody on this boat just gripping whatever they can. They're white-knuckling their way through this whole situation. And they're not doing well. I'm, picturing, I'm just picturing green faces, you know. And I'm probably imagining people grinding their teeth in suspense, in terror, in anxiety. And if you think about it, this is a picture of all of us. When the storms of life sweep through, when we're out of control, being driven across the sea, we're in suspense in the same way. I don't eat right when I'm anxious, when I'm in one of these storms of life. I don't sleep in normal patterns. This is all of us. I pulled up this newspaper article this week from 2009. 2009, if you recall, was right after the big financial crisis in our country. There's a storm that swept through our land. Y'all remember it? How could you forget? In 2009, I pulled up this New York Times article and it was a, uh, um, a report from dentists across the country. And the dentists were saying that there was a massive increase in people grinding their teeth at night. This is the people like on this boat. They're in suspense. They're gripping. They're white knuckling. This is all of us when we're out of control, when things aren't looking good for us. And yet, there's one person on this boat who seems calm, who seems totally fine. He seems totally in control. And it's Paul. Let's pick up the story in verse 34. This is Paul speaking. He says, Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Paul, you seem so relaxed about this whole thing. Do you know anybody like that who when the storms of life come, somehow they're not grinding their teeth and white knuckling and freaking out, but they remain calm, they remain at peace, they even take on leadership roles like Paul is doing here? 
Let's take us back to that 2008 period. I had a good friend. I was living in New York City at the time. I had a friend who was working for one of the major banks. One of the major banks called Bear Stearns. Those of you who are in finance, you know that Bear Stearns was one of the banks that totally collapsed. It disappeared overnight because of this financial crisis. My friend Bob was in the C-level executive team of Bear Stearns. And he was so at peace throughout the entire thing, I was amazed. Everyone around him was freaking out. Bob remained calm, he remained at peace. I heard stories from him that he was talking his colleagues off the ledge, in most cases figuratively, and in at least one case, literally. So how do people do that? How do they remain calm in the midst of the storm? How did my friend Bob do it? How did Paul the apostle do it on the ship that day after 14 days? How is he telling people, not a hair is going to fall from your heads. Nobody here is going to perish. Everybody relax. Well, in Paul's case, it might be that he understood that even if he died on that boat, things were going to get better for him. Paul, after all, is the one who in Philippians 1 verse 21 said to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Philippians 1 verse 21. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Maybe Paul was on that boat going, you know what? If I live through this shipwreck, that's great because I keep serving Christ. And if I die on this shipwreck, that's great too because I gain Christ for all of eternity. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Maybe I wonder if that phrase was born this night on the ship. And Paul would later write it to his letter to the Philippians. I don't know. Or maybe Paul and my friend Bob simply remembered this truth that God, when he invites us onto his ship, never promises smooth sailing. Did you know that? God never promises smooth sailing. Show me the Bible verse where it says, follow Jesus and everything gets smoother and better and awesome like a sunset sail. That's not what God promises. He does promise to always be with us. To always be with us. Even in the storms of life, even in the shipwrecks of life, God is present with us even in the storms. And Paul, in the next couple of verses, demonstrates that God is always with us. Let's look at verse 35 together. When he had said these things, Paul took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Paul, in the midst of this storm in the midst of this pending shipwreck, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and distributed it. Somebody tell me that sounds familiar. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he distributed it. Paul took bread, and after giving thanks, broke it and gave it. This is an amazing thing. This ship is about to wreck. The storms are raging. They are totally out of control. And Paul looks around and he says, you know what we could use right now? Communion. Let's stop and take the Lord's Supper, shall we? 
Paul demonstrated that God is always with us. He knew what Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, where Jesus held up a piece of bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. This is my body broken for you. And the next day, his body would be broken. It would go to the cross. His skin would be broken open by a spear. His blood would pour out. His life would end. Jesus suffered. Jesus' ship wrecked when he died on the cross. That's one of the ways he can always be with us in our storms and in our shipwreck is because he knows what it feels like when everything falls apart. What effect does this, does this little sort of communion have on the people on this boat? Verse 33, we already saw that they're in suspense, grinding their teeth, white knuckling. Verse 36, it says, they were all encouraged when they ate the food. It's almost like a before and after picture, right? They're on the same boat. The same winds are driving them across the Adriatic Sea. The same land is about to meet their boat. They're all in suspense. They're freaking out. They're grinding their teeth. Paul breaks some bread and hands it to them. And they all have a little piece of broken bread in their bodies, a little reminder of God's grace, of God's presence. And now they're encouraged. They're encouraged now. Just a simple little meal. A simple little reminder of the grace of God. And I see this very same thing happen every Sunday here. We all come into this room and we're not necessarily in suspense, white knuckling, grinding our teeth like the guys on this boat. But we come in with the cares of this world. I notice it every time we come in. I come in with the same look on my face that you all have. But by the time we leave this room, after we've heard the gospel preached, after we've tasted God's grace, I'm telling you, the looks on our faces are different every single week. I sense it even when we worship, when Katie leads us so well into the throne room. We all just get a little bit more relaxed on our face. We're in awe of the grace of God. And these folks on this boat, they've just had communion. They, they're changed. They go from being in suspense to being encouraged. You know, when things get real, like they do when the storms of life come, we realize that God's grace is the best thing to hold on to. In fact, when life falls apart, God's grace, this little morsel of bread, which is a reminder of God's grace, it's the best thing to feed ourselves with. It changes the situation like it did for these guys on the boat. Things are about to go from bad to worse for them, though. Let's find out what happens in verse 41. But, striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the Stern was being broken up by the surf. Do you ever have moments in life, in life like this? This is an intense situation. The front of the boat is stuck in the coral, the reef, and the back of the boat is being torn to shreds by the storm. Do you ever have a moment of, of life like this where you're at the same time stuck 
and everything's falling apart. This is what's happening to this boat. It's an intense situation. They're stuck and being shredded by the waves. Verse 42. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. You see, Roman soldiers knew that if, if their prisoner escaped, they would die. So they're freaking out about that. Verse 43, but the centurion wishing to save Paul kept him from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. I want to pause right there and have us really picture this. Can you picture this boat being torn apart? 276 people overboard. And now they're all about to float or swim to the shore of Malta where they weren't intending to go. And what are they grabbing onto? These planks of wood, these pieces of this broken vessel. I want you to really to picture everybody out there in that water. Who's in that water? Everybody. Soldiers, centurions, slaves, free, rich, poor, Gentiles, Jews, probably some Greeks in there. And you know, out there in that water, they're all equal, aren't they? It doesn't matter who the captain is or who the slaves are. They're all floating on these planks of wood. They're all just as desperate as the people next to them. All they have is a piece of wood to carry them to shore. They've got a broken piece of bread in their belly, and now their only hope is a broken piece of wood in their arms. You all know by now, if you've heard my preaching, that sometimes I like to ask myself, who am I in the story? Who am I in the story? If I was there that day, and I'd like to say, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I keep cool in the storms of life. And I'd like to tell you all to go and do likewise. Be like Paul. But on my worst days, on most days, I'm like one of these people. When life falls apart and I'm grabbing onto, I'm clinging to just a little piece of God's grace. You know, all those people floating there in the water after this shipwrecks, it's me and it's you. And hear this now, hear this. We have a piece of wood. That's our only hope of getting home alive. That piece of wood is the cross upon which Jesus died. That's our plank of wood. Sin has come and wrecked the whole thing. Our lives have fallen apart. The storms have come. We're out of control. But he's given us his grace. We see it in a broken piece of bread and we hold on to it in his broken body, which died on that cross. And we have that piece of wood as our safety home into eternity. And guess what? At the foot of the cross, we're all equal. Just like the folks who've been shattered and scattered off that boat. Doesn't matter if you're important. Doesn't matter if you're rich. Doesn't matter if you're poor. You need that plank of wood. You need the cross. It's the great equalizer. It's like being in the family waiting room of a cancer ward. I've been in those rooms. Doesn't matter what your bank account is in that room, it does it. You're just as desperate for the one you love to live. 
We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We all need that peace, that morsel of his grace. You know, sometimes when we think about the church as a ship, we're tempted to think about it as this big steel-hulled battleship, you know, going through the oceans of the world, conquering false religions and conquering untruths. You know, it's like the mighty battleship of the church. But what if the church instead is this broken vessel where we're all equal and we all need the cross as much as the person next to us? We come to this table here in just a moment for a little piece of bread, being reminded that we need his grace. The storms come, don't they? If you've never experienced one of these storms where your life feels like it's falling apart, I'm sorry to tell you it's going to come at one time or another. And your best chance of survival is to cling to the cross, cling to the grace of God. That's what will get you home. Amen.